Our scripture today, um, our scripture reading today is from 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Naaman, commander of the army of the king Syria, was a great man with his master and high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a, was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their wrath, had carried off a um, little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her, her mistress, What would that my lord wear with the prophet who is in Samaria? He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thou and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the um, king of Syria said, Go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with his tent, him ten tails of silver, six thousand sticks of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, now that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Oh, considered and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that him, he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and he, your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would sincerely come out to me and stand and call upon the, the name of the Lord, um, his God, and wave his hand around the place and cure the leper. Are not Abba and Far, Far the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them? And be clean, so he turned and went away in a range. But his servant came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet had spoke to you. Will you not do it? He had, has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to word, the word of the man of God and he, his flesh was restored like flesh as a little child and he, he was clean. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning everybody. How are you today? You ready? Almost. Almost. 
Make sure I'm all set here. Okay. It's good to see everybody. And Erica, 30 years. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, so you guys waited 20 years for Bria, I guess. Yeah. It's awesome. Kind of a letdown for a tropical storm last night, right? Like, you know the deal with Oki if you're new. Like, we're just kind of cursed with weekend weather patterns. So, love to see that shift to some weekday weather disruptions. Being from the Northeast. Like my snow days, we don't get snow days here, so typhoons are the closest thing that we get. So we pray for some days off of work. I don't know, COVID kind of changed that because before COVID, typhoons came, we're like, yeah, we get to be stuck at home for like three, four days together. Then after COVID, it's like, nah, like, let's, yeah, no more typhoons, no more ROM, no more ROM. But uh, yeah, it was kind of a bummer, bummer last night. So we'll hope for better typhoons as the summer moves along. Let's pray, and we'll get right down to work. Father, we thank you for this morning. Please remind us that we are your kids, and as kids, we are uh, really needy. Help us to be okay with that neediness, and help us to see how we usually uh, express that neediness by pursuing other people, places, or things, or accomplishments, or sources of satisfaction, instead of just pursuing you and being satisfied in you. And so, Father... We acknowledge this morning, we're your kids, we need you, we pray that this morning your kingdom would come, your will would be done here in Okinawa and in this room and in our hearts as it is in heaven. We pray that you'd give us the daily bread that our souls need for the day. We pray that you would forgive us our sin and incline our hearts to forgive those who have sinned against us, especially when we don't want to give, we don't want to let go, and we don't want to give that forgiveness. We don't want people off the hook. So I pray that you'd incline our hearts towards mercy. Father, you know how quickly our feet run towards temptation. So I pray that you would um, rescue us from that temptation, deliver us from evil, lead us away and lead us towards life. Remind us this morning that it's your kingdom, your power and your glory so that we can be rescued from our tendencies of living to build our own kingdoms or living for our own fame, our own glory. Uh, or the pressure to live or under our own power or strength or to project a sense of power to others. So we repent of those things and gladly run back to you and to your kingdom, dependence on your power and a desire to live for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we keep trucking in our summer sermon series, which is entitled Ordinary People, Gospel Power. All summer, we're rehearsing the idea that God is not only okay with a family full of ordinary people, it's actually the way that he designed it. You and I are ordinary sons and daughters. The father's not disappointed in our ordinariness. He's not threatened by it. He actually takes joy in it as a dad. He delights in his ordinary sons and daughters. You don't have to be extraordinary to become a Christian. You don't have to prove that you deserve to be forgiven or to be a kid in God's family. You don't have to prove your place in the family so that God will keep you um, and not let you go. And we're all ordinary kids. Our Father delights in our ordinariness, and He is the one with power. We don't have to be powerful. We don't. Actually, weakness is a value in our family because in our weakness... Our Father is seen to be strong, and we find the actual strength that we need for 
uh, to live the life that God has created us to. So it's a beautiful thing. It's a virtue. Uh, ordinary people, gospel power. So all summer long, our theme verse has been from, sec- don't put it up yet though, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And uh, throughout the summer, we're finding Old Testament characters who embody what we read in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. So in the first service, I asked if there were any kids in the room who would like to stand and recite for us that verse. Because you know that I gave a challenge, and kids, uh, if you memorize it and share it with me, the incentive is Blue Seal. And uh, a lot of you have already learned the verse, and I think you would have even if I didn't give an incentive, but we're having fun with it. Well, before the service began this morning, uh, Amina found me, and she said that she, in fact, would like to recite 2 Corinthians 4-7 for us. Are you comfortable? Of course you're comfortable coming down, girl. (laughs) Come on down. There it is. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4-7. There it is. Good job. Good job, Amina. Good work. Really well done. Good job, girl. All right, that's it. You guys, we can do this. We can do it together. And then throughout the summer, we'll have other people come down. And maybe, Amina, you can come down to help and encourage other people if they need some, uh, some companionship when they come down, right? All right, 2 Corinthians 4-7. This morning, we're going to find the beauty of that verse embodied by a young girl. So I love that, Bria, you read for us, because I think the ordinary person in our story today is probably your age, right? Probably your age. Um, Amina, I love that you have the verse memorized and could share it with us this morning, because I think the girl in our story today, if not Bria's age, is somewhere somewhere between the two of you. So maybe as young as you are, Amina, uh, maybe your age, Bria, but somewhere in between the two. So we already had it read for us uh, by Bria. It's found in 2 Corinthians, or yeah, 2 Corinthians, 2 Kings chapter 5, if you're not there already. And then I did want to say, kids, don't forget, we have our sermon note sheets for the summer. Draw a picture of what you hear, uh, write down the big idea and, you know, what this teaches me about God or the gospel, and then give me your paper or send me a picture of it, have your parents send a picture so we can display it on the screen in the back by the notes. Um, and don't forget to put your name and your Blue Seal flavor on there, okay, so that I can have it, have it written down. Adults, you're welcome to use the sheets too. You don't get Blue Seal. And, hey, kids, I just, as your, I'm your pastor too. I'm not just your parents' pastor. Here, look, I'm going to do something to look out for you. Here's this thing that parents like to do, dads especially. Do you know what they do? You get ice cream or something, what do they call it? Like, hey, I need, I got a dad tax. So, kids, listen carefully. Maybe parents need to listen. As your pastor, I am with the authority vested in me. No, this is not a wedding. No parent taxes on the blue seal that your kids get. You're stealing the ice cream that Jesus would be giving them for memorizing 2 Corinthians 4, 7. What kind of Christian are you? No dad taxes. Here's our big idea for the morning from 2 Kings. Ordinary people share this good news. God heals helpless people. That's too many words for your box or you want to shorten it down. I need shorter sentences. Just go with God heals helpless 
people, okay? God heals helpless people. My handwriting's getting better as the summer goes along, isn't it? Yeah. We're going to see a couple different people in the story this morning. I can't, we can't point all of them out, but here are the four that I want to focus our attention on. We're going to meet a commander and then a captive, and then there are two kings. I just want us to focus on one of the kings, and then, and then we're going to see how the story points us to Christ. So the commander needs God. He needs the God who heals helpless people. Commander needs. The captive, our young girl, she knows God. She knows the God who heals helpless people. We're going to see two kings. The one king I want to point out is very aware that he is not God. And he's right about that, but he fails so miserably. It's, it's the saddest part in the story. It's the saddest part in the story. And then we're going to see how the entire story points us to Christ. I mean, that, he is the reason we're all here this morning. So if we can't point to Jesus, we might as well just pack it up right now. Go to your uh, 4th of July barbecue early. Go take your nap. Like, there'd be no reason to, to get together. So we need to see how Jesus is the hero of our story and Christ, it's not that he's near God, it's that he is our God who is near. But I had to go with the ends and all that, so near hyphen God, okay? Commander needs God, captive knows God, the king is not God, and Christ is our near God, okay? So God heals who? All right, let's try it. Let's try it one more time. Kids, God, who does God heal? All right, there we go. God heals helpless people. So we meet the commander first, right? Verse 1, the commander needs God. But you wouldn't think so if you just read the first part of his bio, right? His name's Naaman. I always confuse him with, who's the guy with the gallows? Haman, right? I cannot keep these two straight. But this is Naaman. He's the commander. He feels like he's going to be swinging from a gallows. He's a commander of the army of the king of Syria. Pretty big deal. He was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. So I realize it's not really fit rep or eval season for you. That's basically the language right there that you need. Uh, that's the inflated language that you all use. Anyway, so there it is. Right? Even that line, look at that. By me, the Lord has given victory to Syria, right? By me, the Lord has ensured freedom of the seas in the South China Sea, right? Single-handedly. Like, that's, like here's his, his inflated bio right here. Uh, but it's true. He's a really important person. And notice what the author is pointing out. He's a commander, the entire army. He's a great man. His boss likes him. Uh, he has been victorious on the field of, of battle. And his peers view him as a mighty man. Now, if we were to summarize it all this way, we could say, we would say, man, he's got everything. He's educated. He's successful. Um, his I love me wall, he has two I love me walls. His chest candy, you've seen some of the old pictures where the ribbons go up and over the, right, before it was cool just to wear your favorite one. They went up and over. That's this guy. Um, his boss thinks highly of him. Some of you only wish your boss would write about you that way. This man has everything. Or so it seems. Because then we find a comma in the sentence, and then how does his bio end? 
He's got leprosy. Now, just a quick historical note. There is a modern-day disease that we know as leprosy, and it's not a one-for-one. One. It's not, when you see the word leprosy in the Old Testament, it was a term used to talk about a range of skin diseases that could be as non-serious, though annoying, as something like eczema, right? Not, you know, not a huge deal. Um, or it, it, it could be used to talk about serious conditions that could even lead to death. And based on the sense of the story, it doesn't seem like he's dealing with acne or eczema, right? Seems like the disease that he has is not only taking away his health, but could probably prove to be fatal, right? So in that family of diseases, man, and you think about it, he's a warrior. He fights for a living. He leads men into battle for a living. Uh, his fingers are withering away. Limbs may fall off. And his condition could lead to death. He's hopeless. So we could say... The man who seemed to have everything actually had nothing at all. Nothing at all. So Naaman, the commander, needs the God who heals helpless people. He's helpless. And here's where we meet the captive girl. Verse 2 says, Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl Notice the contrast, right? We have big, powerful warrior man, little girl, young girl. She'd been taken away, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. That's the polite way of saying that she had been made a slave. So here's our captive girl. The captive girl knows the God who heals helpless people. It's a beautiful contrast. Here you have a powerful man who has everything but yet has nothing. And now you have this little girl who's had everything taken away from her. She's got nothing, or so it would seem. But the way she's going to live the story is actually going to show us that her heart has everything that she needs. It's a beautiful contrast. She's got everything he needs but has nothing. She has nothing and yet has everything. Girls, kids, think about it. Bad guys show up in your neighborhood, Kadena, Foster, wherever you live. They kill your parents. They take you, and they make you a slave. They take you away from your neighborhood, your home, your family, your school, your bed, your toys, your stuffed animal, your internet. All the things, everything. They take you to a strange place where you don't know the language. You have no more play in your life. It's just work from the time you get out of bed in the morning until the time you go to sleep. And you're not sleeping in a place that you would want to sleep anyway. Probably scary, probably dirty. It's horrible. So now, kids, let me ask you this, okay? Imagine that's you. Imagine you've been taken and made a slave and your family's not alive anymore. And the person who did that to you and did that to your family now is sick with a disease that might kill them. How do you feel about that? Oof. So I go to bed. I open up my journal. Not that I would have one as a slave, but I open it up and I write, what do you write? Dear diary? That's weird. What do guys write? I'm really bad at journaling. Do we write anything? The date. All right. We don't remember dates. <laughs> Whatever we write in a journal. Dear diary. 
Today I found out that my master has leprosy and he could die. And I'm really happy. And I pray that he dies. That's how I feel. That's not how you feel. That's how I feel. And I don't think I feel guilty about that. But our young captive girl knows the God who heals helpless people. And even though everything has been taken away from her, and this person who deserves to be viewed as an enemy, that you would think she would be right to hate and would be glad that he'd be going to his grave, what does he do? He goes to his, she goes to his wife, and he says, I really wish your husband was in Samaria where I come from so that he could know the prophet that I know, Elisha, we'll see his name later, because God works through Elisha, and God uses his power to heal helpless people. And if your husband could be there, he could be cured and he could continue to live. That's not how this character is supposed to receive this news and respond in this story. And guys, that is the radical difference that the gospel brings about in our lives. The very people that we should view as enemies, now we view with a heart of compassion. And we would actually have a desire for them. And actually, look at her clear communication. She communicates clearly and with courage and a, a beautiful heart of compassion from a heart that should be filled with hate. I wish your husband could be healed. And he could be if he could go to Samaria and meet the prophet. God works through this prophet and he heals helpless people. I want to point out another historical note. Um, let's not make light of what's going on. She's a slave. And uh, throughout history, um, often, unfortunately, the Bible has actually been used by persons in power to reinforce modern expressions of slavery and to further enslave um, or subjugate enslaved persons. One of, the way that that, one of the ways that was done historically in our own country was Bibles, if they were to be given to enslaved persons, would be edited first. And passages that talked about freedom or justice would be taken out, actually edited out, and passages like this one would stay in the Bible as a pro-slavery argument. Because look, they would say, look at how submissive this girl is, and look at how noble her master is. He must have been a really kind man for her to care about him in this way and hope that he would be healed. Yo, horrible use of scripture. Um, first of all, this passage is not pro-slavery. Pro the Bible is not pro-slavery. The, the entire narrative arc bends towards uh, freedom and restorative justice and liberation, not just spiritually, but relationship to relationship, right? We know this. And to suggest that he's a kind man and that's the reason that she wants him healed is incredibly inconsiderate towards her, he trafficked her, kidnapped her, and enslaved her. But he was kind. I mean, he did, he did it in a nice way, right? Now, we chuckle, but so often throughout history, that would be the argument um, uh, from a, a uh, kind of a, a Christian perspective. Well, but we're kind and compassionate, and it's actually good for their flourishing. 
You know, no, no, get out of here with that. He, it's not, what is a kind slave master? He trafficked this young girl. And it actually undermines the power of the story. Her compassion doesn't flow from, whoa, I got to, the guy who owns me is really nice to me. The guy who treats me as less than an image bearer of God, as less than a young valued girl, uses me, but, he, but he's really nice, so I hope he gets healed. No, 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 no. This is a gospel narrative, right? So rather than pro-slavery passage, this is a pro-sinner passage, pro-sufferer passage. The point of this passage is that in the framework of injustice and in all of the brokenness that was slavery expressed in any form, God is radically pro-sinner and pro-sufferer. We know he's for the sufferer and he's working for justice long-term, the oppressed. We know this. Did you know that God is also radically pro-sinner? That mercy is available to the oppressor as well as it is available to the oppressed? This passage can't be relegated to, uh, surely, obviously, not pro-slavery. We understand this from the Bible. The greater point, though, is it's pro-sinner. That God is radically for even the man who has done this to this girl. And we see it beautifully expressed from her heart. Okay? So we see the commander, he needs the God who heals helpless people. We see the captive girl, she knows the God who heals helpless people. Now we have the king, the saddest point in the whole narrative. Um, uh, before we get to the king, I want to show you uh, Naaman has this, oh no, 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 the girl has the conversation with Naaman's wife. Naaman's wife has the conversation with Naaman. Naaman then goes to his boss, the king of Syria. Notice how he kind of characterizes their conversation. Uh, the, the girl said, did you see the language? Thus and so. Do you ever expect to experience a sentence like that in the Bible? Like, in the Bible, words really matter. But the girl's like, thus and so. And I, I, I laughed this week because, like, I can remember as a kid walking away from conversations with my parents and be like, Somebody like, my brother or sister would be like, what did mom just say? Uh, like, thus and so. I don't know. She said a whole lot of things. I don't know. But now that I'm a dad, I can, like, I'm like, yeah, I've walked away from a lot of conversations with kids trying to, like, explain to me for 15 minutes why they're so passionate about this episode or thing. And I'm walking away with, you know, my wife's like, what did they say? I'm like, huh. A whole lot of, like, thus and so. It's just kind of funny to see, like, Naaman walk into his boss and be like, she said, like, a whole lot of thus and so. Here it is, thus and so. But what she said was, I can go to Samaria and I can be healed. Well, you can tell how much his boss or how highly his boss views him because he's like, all right, go to Samaria. It was a bit of a journey. Uh, I'm going to write a letter so that there's a peer-to-peer -peer relationship that the king of Israel will receive you uh, with my authority. And I'm writing to ask of him that I would like for him to heal you. Uh, name is like, cool, cool, thank you. And then the king throws him, you ready for this? Uh, do you know how much money is described here? You don't. It's okay, because I had to Google it, and then I texted Grant, who was over here, and I'm like, dude, math is not my game. Tell, like, can you tell me how much money's going on here? Uh, if we brought all of this forward to today's economy, we're talking a cool $3.8 million. So his boss gives him 3.8, and if that wasn't enough, 10 changes of clothes. In case, it, just to sweeten the deal, in case 3.8 mil is not enough, throw in like 10 really nice, uh, like Walmart's got stuff on sale. Just go snatch 10, throw them up. This convoy, this is about 900 pounds worth of valuable. So with today's price of fuel, that's like 3.8 million to move the stuff into Israel, right? <laughs> it's a big deal. His boss thinks highly of him. So he writes the letter, goes to Israel. Um, 
The king receives him. And here's where we pick it up, verse 6. Here's the king who knows he's not God. Verse 6. He, uh, Naaman brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he ripped his clothes, uh, a sign of like fear or anxiety or distress or even anger, right? He's not okay with this. He tears his clothes and he says, am I God? You're making this request of me? Like, do you think I'm God and I can kill or make people alive or heal them of leprosy? That you're writing to me to cure this man of his leprosy? I'm not God. Only consider and see. Now notice what he thinks. Seeking a quarrel with me. This is a really sad piece of the story. Um, But before we get to the sadness, let's just be fair to the king for a moment. Syria is the dominant world power, okay? Israel's less than. It's not a peer-to-peer match. If they go to war, it's a a one-day battle and it's over. So to be fair to the king, imagine the king who could be your enemy sends his favorite commander who has leprosy, and he's like, yo, heal. So the king immediately sees pretext for war because you know I can't heal him. So you're just looking for an excuse to invade and declare war. Right? So that's, that's his gut. So we can give him a little empathy politically or as a leader. But let's step back a little bit. Who, what nation is he king of? Israel. Who does Israel belong to? God. Why had God made Israel his own? And what did he say was his dream for the people of Israel? Way, 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 way back with Abraham. That they would exist for the good or the blessing of peoples all around the world. And we know, we know that God's power was active and present. So if anybody in the country should have known God can do this, and what an incredible opportunity to actually, look at this, they came to our front door. We didn't have to go anywhere. Here's an opportunity to live for the good of other people, to live out. God heals helpless people. Look at this. This is insane. Our would-be enemy sends his number one commander, and we get to heal him. And his response is, what? Am I God? Do I look like God to you? That kind of power is not available here. Not only that, he politicized what was really a personal moment and felt threatened by the conversation. It's really a sad moment. But look at the contrast. The one man who, who had the knowledge, should have, and the ability to make sure this man was healed by the God who healed helpless people fails, but where he fails, a six-year-old girl believed confidently and shared the gospel clearly and had a heart of compassion. No compassion from the king, all compassion from the captive girl. No gospel clarity from the king, the man who should have had it, all the gospel clarity from the young girl. No courage from the king, all courage from the young girl. Hey kids, look at me. You matter so much to God. And listen, kids, the words you say to other people matter so much. You would read a story like this and think, wow, big, powerful commander. The only guy that could help him would be a big, powerful commander. No, gospel's upside down. It's, 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 it's different. God uses the young and humble to work in powerful ways 
in the lives of people who need help. Kids, you guys matter so much to God and to our church family. And your words matter to us. You say stuff all the time that points us to Jesus and gives our heart joy. And you may never know how valuable and life-giving that is to all of us. But you matter so much to God our Father, and you matter so much to us. But look at the story. So we have the sadness with this king, and so Elisha heals about this. And he writes to the king, he's like, Dude, stop. You're making a fool of yourself. Stop tearing your clothes. Act like a king. Man, you fail. Look at this opportunity you whiffed on. Send him to me. I will make sure that Naaman knows there's a prophet in Israel. So it sounds like Elisha is kind of bragging on himself a little bit. He's not. In saying that there's a prophet in Israel, he's saying, I, I, will, I will make sure that Naaman, a helpless person, knows there is a powerful God and he does heal helpless people and he is active in our family and he will heal Naaman. Send him to me. So the king, or so Naaman rolls up to Elisha's house. Notice Elisha doesn't come outside. Sends a servant, and he says to Naaman, hey, uh, my boss said if you will go to the Jordan River, which was about 25 miles away, and it was a dirty river, if you will go to the Jordan and uh, dip yourself seven times, you'll be healed of your leprosy. Well, now Naaman's really angry. The king already failed, but now Elisha won't even come out of his house. Like, don't you know who I am? And he responds with, yo, I got perfect rivers back where I come from. Why can't I just take a bath in one of those and be healed? And he becomes very angry. Picking up in verse 11. Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand all over the place and cure me. Because that's what religious people do, right? They get loud and they wave their hands. That's what he thought was going to happen. Like, just, just say your things and, like, wave your hands and let me go away. I'm here. I'll do the religious thing. Say it. Wave it. I'm out of here. Like, fix me. God doesn't work like that. Hey, fam, God didn't work like that then. He doesn't work like that now. Because what we're about to see is if Naaman wanted to be healed, the pride had to die. He had to go down low. Not just in his soul, but actually to go to the Jordan River from where he was, he had to descend into a deep, 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 deep river valley. So it's not just in the language that we hear he needs to go low. It's actually in the geography. The entire journey towards healing is going lower and lower and lower. If you want to be healed, you got to go lower. You gotta, you've got the pride has to die. Healing is found down, down low. Look, yo, I got my own rivers, Abana, Farpar. Sounds like a Star Wars river, but there it is in Syria. The rivers of Damascus, they're better than all the waters of Israel. And they were. They were clean. They were cold. Elisha was asking him to go to one of the muddier rivers in the region. Can I wash in those and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it's a great word. The prophet has spoken to you. Aren't you going to do it? I mean, he did actually say to you, wash and be clean. That's what you're looking for. Like, at least give it a try. What's the worst that could happen? And I'm sure, I'm sure what he was thinking was, well, I can tell you the worst that's going to happen. They're making a fool out of me. They're taking advantage of me. He's going to send me to this muddy river. I'm going to dip. I'm going to come up on the seventh time. I'm still going to have leprosy. A crowd will have gathered, and it's all the TikTok, all the Instagram, all the, I will be blasted regionally, and people will say, look at this. Look at these fools. Look at our enemies. They're less than. 
verse 14, but he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. Nothing magical about the number seven. Very often a symbol of God's work, God's power. So its presence in the story is kind of a communicate, it communicates to us if he's going to be healed, God has to do it. And that's a good gospel principle. If your soul is going to be healed, God has to, has to do it. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored. Look at this like the flesh of a little child. Remember I, I showed you the meaning of leprosy before? The literal interpretation was his skin here is like a baby's behind, right? Is that how we say it? The flesh of a little child. Healthy. Restored. And he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God. He and all his company, and he came, and he stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. He wanted to give him the 3.8 million. That's a sermon for another time. Elisha actually said no, which is really important to us. You can't pay God for what he does to you, to heal you. You can't pay him back. He doesn't want to be paid back, but different sermon. Um. All right, I want to make some application for us. Before we do, I want to show you the artwork uh, for this week. Uh, that's not mine. You know that's not mine. You know my stick figures very well by now. So I have a guest illustrator this week. He was in the first service. He's not here right now. But this is the work of Cole Bowers, and he did a fantastic job. So he and I went to McDonald's on Wednesday. We read the passage. We brainstormed, and he came up with the artwork. So notice what he did. He's got a movie scene, right? And it's act what? Right? So that kind of helps us remember that key component of the story. Uh, a little artistic stretch, Naaman is coming off a diving board into the river. Cool. He's also got his uh, fins on. Notice the fins. Um, there's the girl in the background. Because she's not present when he dips, right? But this is what she wanted. So she's the glad one in the story. She wanted gospel thing, beauty here. She wanted her the man who owned her, to be healed. Powerful. There's the king off to the side in the stands, right? Indifferent, uncaring, no, no empathy. There he is, probably disbelieving that he would actually be healed. There's a sign for Elisha because his, his face is not seen, right? Um, some of you grew up watching Tim Allen and his back, he had a neighbor out back and there was a fence and you never <laughs> saw his face. So Elisha doesn't make an appearance in the movie, so Cole captured that too. And the river's dirty. Uh, and there's the light kind of from heaven. God heals helpless people. Good job, Cole. In the first service, I said, kids, I got, you know, for future sermons, if you want to be the guest illustrator, come find me. The problem is a whole bunch of people found me. I don't know that I have any more slots. But if you're interested, let me know, and uh, I'll write your name down. And if I have more slots for this, um, we'll work it out. Okay. We have a few minutes left. I think it would be really, really good for us to, here's what I want to do. What do we have in common with some of the characters in the story? Or what do we see that is just really profound and meaningful to us? Um, let's start with the captive girl, guys. When I see the captive girl, I, I think to myself, wow, if God could point to one character in the Old Testament and say to us as his people, I want you to be like this, I want you to live like this. Do you know who I think he would point to? This nameless girl. Guys, the hero of our family, 
is right there, a young girl, not a powerful person, a weak person, a young girl. I think God would point to her and say, she, this story prefigures a lot of things. She prefigures all of my hopes and dreams for my people and the way that they will live in this broken world. She was carried away, right? We talked about that a little bit. In a sense, we have been carried away. Not a one for one. She was enslaved. We're not enslaved. So I'm not trying to make that parallel. But how does the New Testament describe Christians living in this broken world? As what? Strangers and exile. She was a stranger and an exile in a foreign place, in a strange place, different language. We speak different languages. We have an allegiance to Jesus and a submission to him as our king, which puts our values or our ethics at odd with the at odds with the values and ethics around us. And our father would say, I want you to live like her in a strange place where the language is not shared and the ethics and the values are not shared. How so? Look. She would, we would read that story and be like, man, she would have been right to view him as an enemy and to pray for his death. I ca- Honestly, somebody kidnaps my daughter, that's all I'm praying. Death, demise, destruction, suffering. She would have been right. But this little girl who had nothing, had everything, because she knew the God who heals helpless people. And so the very person who should have been an enemy to her she shared the gospel with, and she had compassion towards in their suffering. Guys, as followers of Jesus, the culture would assume of us that um, we have many enemies in our, in our culture. We would even say, kind of depending on your expression of Christianity or what you grew up in, is Man, um, these people are our enemies, or people who think this way or live this way or vote that way, they're our enemies. And God would point us to this little girl. Culturally, people learn that we're Christians, and so the assumption would be, well, you're, you're anti-gay then. One of my favorite authors, a pastor by the name of Sam Albury, actually wrote a book. He said the title of the book is, Is God Anti-Gay? Fantastic title, better book. Are gay people the enemy of followers of Jesus? My gay uncles, my gay cousins, my gay friends? How am I postured towards them? Culture would expect that, oh, you're Christians, you, you, you hate gay people. And all too often, often the way we will posture or the way we will choose to say or not say certain things will kind of reinforce that sense. And it is possible to affirm a robust biblical theology of sexuality, of heterosexual sexual expression in a monogamous relationship between a husband and a wife. And to be able to point to the good and the, the, the good and the beauty of God's design and how it exists for the flourishing of people while at the same time being, being radically for people who don't share that sexual ethic, like this girl. Are we radically for people in the same way? Are we radically for people that would otherwise be arrayed as our enemy? We could even think about the recent conversation uh, Roe v. Wade and the, the shift in the public discourse. And um, even while um, many, and rightfully so, are celebrating a shift in legal policy that would further restrict ab- abortive procedures, 
right? So that more unborn image bearers of God are born into life. Good. To be able to understand that in the foreign land in which we live, there is so much nuance around that conversation. And so many who actually feel threatened by the very thing that we might celebrate. And so to be able to engage with humility, even as we celebrate, and to understand that as followers of Jesus, we are not, we are not enemies with persons who have had abortions, men or women participated. We are not against those who would perform abortions, and we are not against those who would disagree with our view of the unborn as image bearers of God. Those people are not our enemies, and our Father would point us to this little girl. I mean, we could go on. We use so many different words pejoratively to categorize people. And, and here's, we could say this, well, John, I don't, I don't, um, like, I don't, I don't view people as my enemy, and that's fantastic, but listen, here's what you got to understand. If you're going to submit to Jesus, and if your highest allegiance is going to be to him, even if you live your best to love people, still there will be some who will posture themselves against you and say, well, you, you don't affirm this, or you don't affirm that. You, I know you're not saying you're my enemy, but you are, you are my enemy. And even in the tension of those relationships, to live radically for those people who might still align themselves as an enemy to you and to refuse to view people as enemies. China would be a good example. That's why most of you are in this room. You're here on behalf of another country to maintain a certain stability in a region. The Chinese people are not our enemies. As followers of Jesus, we are radically pro-China. We care deeply about the people living in China, and we want them to know the God who heals helpless people. We are radically pro-North Korean. Though they may posture themselves as our enemies, we refuse to view them as such. We pro-Russian, even as we lament the injustices in Ukraine and pray that God would stop the oppressor and rescue the oppressed, we look to this little girl's example and pray that the Father would give us her heart posture and that those in Russia who are enacting injustices would come to know the God who heals helpless people. Guys, the gospel. All right, I spent too much time on the girl. Well, not really. She deserved a lot of attention. But I wanted to point you to the king, the king who failed, because I think most of us can identify with this king. I think he kind of represents those of us who grew up with a knowledge of God, maybe a, a cultural expression of Christianity like you might find in the South, not in the North where I came from, pretty dead in, in New England, um, but other places, right? And to, 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 to realize that it's entirely possible that I've gone so long without knowing God personally or experiencing his power or having any kind of vibrant relationship and that so many suffering people have come to me like Naaman went to the king and all I could do in that moment is be like, well, I'm not God, I can't fix you and fail to bring them by their hand to the God who heals helpless people because I've stopped believing that God heals helpless people and that if there's a character in the story that I'm like more than anyone else, sadly, it's that king. And if that's you, God is radically for you this morning, and he can restore your heart, you can experience his power, and he can bring your heart back to a place where you can exist for the good of other people, and it's a source of joy for you.
this is another sermon, but notice how that king turned it political. And that's where we, social media, like that's everything becomes impersonal and political. And that's like what the king did. God help us to see the people behind the conversations and the arguments, to hear the heart. All right, we've got to move past the king. Naaman. Guys, this room is full of Naamans. Some of you are actual, you are actually commanders. Or you aspire to be. You've had things written about you that are very much like him. Our similarities don't end with the accolades. You, you, you graduated from a service academy. You got a meritorious promotion. You, you, all the things. But there's a comma in the sentence of your life story, just like there is a comma in the sentence of his life story. And you're like, John, I, I, I don't have leprosy. And some of you, are, you do have some skin conditions and you're receiving care. That's fantastic. We're not going to the leprosy thing. Listen, he had leprosy, comma, leprosy of the skin. You got comma, leprosy of the soul. Your soul has leprosy. You're a rebel. You have sinned against the God who created you. Notice how he turned in rage from the God who created him because God demanded of him something he didn't want to surrender or submit to. Yo, that's our, that's, every one of us have that life story. You got leprosy of the soul. And the good news for you this morning is that God is not arrayed against you as an enemy, though you deserve judgment for your sin. In Jesus, he postured himself as your friend and as the one who would heal you if, like Naaman, you will go down low and, and acknowledge your rebellion and repent of it and see Jesus as your rescuing king. And speaking of Jesus, that is where we will end. And he is the reason we are all here. So as I look at the story, usually you can look to a story in the Old Testament and be like, all right, who points to Christ most clearly? Who prefigures Jesus most clearly? And of all the people, even the girl, I'm like, no, nah, it's not really the girl. It's not Naaman. It's not the king. It's not even Elisha. I think it's actually not a person in the story. I think it's the river. I think the Jordan River prefigures Christ. Because listen, Naaman had to go down low. He had to find a king and then a prophet and then a river. And he had 3.8 million and all these good things so that he could find and earn forgiveness and healing. Jesus is the true and better Jordan River. You don't have to find the Jordan River. The Jordan River finds you because on the cross... When Jesus' blood flowed, mingled down with water. Who did he say he was? The living water, right? Jesus is the true and better Jordan. On the cross, as his blood and water flowed, mingled down, it's as if the healing water of the Jordan River spilled over its banks in Israel and flooded the entirety of the globe. And so now, through the gospel, you don't have to go to Jesus to find him to find healing and restoration. He comes to you to give you the healing and restoration that your leprous soul needs. We know it's leprous. We know our hearts have lost innocence. We know they're consumed with guilt and shame. We know there is darkness in there. We know there is hatred in there. We know we, don't, we are not the slave girl who views Naaman in a positive light. I have a list of people that I would be inclined to hate. We know there is darkness in our souls. Those are all symptoms of the leprosy of sin against God. You can't heal yourself with your money. You can't heal yourself with your accolades. There's only one way you can be healed, and that is for you to go down low, 
humble yourself, repent of your sin, and be washed in the cleansing blood, the work of Jesus on your behalf as your rescuing king. But friends, listen, if you walked in here thinking you were an enemy of God because of your rebellion, know that God has actually... Listen, here's what He did. He sent Jesus to be in your place so that He would receive the judgment so that you could be welcomed in as a son or daughter as you find your restoration in Jesus. I'm going to pray, then the worship team is going to come and lead us in a moment of response. So would you, would you join me in, in prayer? Father, I pray that you would show yourself to be the God who heals helpless people this morning. Father, I pray that you would give every one of us the humility that Naaman eventually came in his desperation. May we be desperate enough that we would go down low. And Father, for those in this room this morning who, whose leprosy of soul is eating them alive, I pray that they're healing in the true and better Jordan, the living water of Jesus, their rescuing King. Father, thank You that we are not Your enemy, that we deserve Your judgment. You pursue us in Jesus with an offer of mercy. May we all know that mercy this morning. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.